Hello there. John Wilkes here with, well, what's going to be a rather unusual episode, I suppose, of the Old Songs podcast. Um, But then these are rather unusual times, are they not? Like most of you, I've found myself with suddenly a huge amount of free time on my hands. And, um, well, I could either sit around and not do very much with that and uh, scratch my navel, or... I thought I could do some stuff. So I've been recording a few songs and putting them out on Facebook this week and putting them out on my website. Uh, Old songs, of course, um, and, you know, doing some research. But one of the things I wanted to do was get around to this particular podcast, which has been on the on the cards for some time. Um, And I think it's the right time to do it. The song is called Hard Times of Old England. And, uh, you know, that, uh, that title kind of says it all, doesn't it? But um, what I really love about this song is, well, it's about hard times, which we are experiencing at the moment, but it's also about looking to a time in the future when we can come back together and celebrate celebrate that togetherness once again. So I'm going to play you straight away the first version that I heard of this song. I think a lot of people come to it in a, diff- in, in a number of different ways because it's been recorded quite a lot. But I first heard it in about 2016 uh, by this band. Come all your tradesmen that travel alone Oh pray will you tell me where the work has all gone Long time I've been travelling and I can't find none And it's all the old times of old England In old England, very hard times Provisions you buy at the shop It is true But if you've got no money There's none there for you So what are the poor and their families to do? And it's all the old times of old England In old England Very hard times You go to the shop and you ask for a job They answer you back with a shake and a nod Ain't that enough to make some turn and rob And it's all the old times of old England In old You see the portraitsman out walking the street From morning till night for employment to seek And 
And scarcely they've got any shoes to their feet And it's all the old times of old England In old England Very hard times Soldiers and sailors have just come from war They're fighting for Queen and for country once more Home to be starved, better stayed where they were And it's all the old times of old England And that's sticking the wheels interpretation of Hard Times of Old England, or just Hard Times, as they call it, on their debut album. That, for me, was the first time I heard a traditional song and was absolutely bowled over and stopped dead in my tracks by it. I didn't realise it was a traditional song at the time. Uh, You know, forgive me for judging a book by its cover, but I think I assumed that they were perhaps influenced by Billy Bragg, you know, singing in their own accents and um, singing songs of protest, lyrics of protest there. I didn't know at all that the song uh, dated back quite as far as I do know now. And as I got more heavily into traditional music, I headed down to Cecil Sharp House and I met some of these people. And I, I do remember going and meeting Stick in the Wheel to do an interview with them for a blog I was running at the time. Um, and I asked them about, about hard times of old England. And I've just pulled it up here on, on the blog. Um, and they said at the time, the reason we do hard times is because we were doing this Bob Copper concert at Cecil Sharp House. And Ian A. Anderson asked us to pick a Bob Copper tune. And he said, by the way, hard times of old England why don't you do that because it's obviously right for you and we looked at it and and we didn't want to do it because it was a bit too obvious Uh, we thought that maybe they were trying to put us in a box and make us look like poor people Um, and I responded by saying but you do it so well so beautifully and they say well it's the song isn't it that's just how it goes and actually that might have been the first time that I came across the name Bob Copper and the Copper family at large. And we'll come on to the Coppers a bit later because they're incredibly important. And I don't think we've covered them yet on the Old Songs podcast. Uh, but before we do that, let's do our admin, shall we? Uh, we do this with every episode. We're talking about hard times of old England, which means it has a round number. And that round number is 1206. I'm going to underline that uh, 1206. Apparently, last time, I got it wrong. Somebody wrote in to me and said, you've got the numbers in the wrong order. I've checked this one over and over again. It's 1206. So if you go onto the Vaughan Williams Memorial Library website and you type in 1206, you should come up with the hard times of old England. 
What's interesting to me is that actually there are only 28 or so, I think it was 28 entries under that title. Um, it also comes up as the tradesman's complaint, which we, again we'll talk about later. Um, 28 entries seems quite a low number for me. Uh, I don't know if it's because this song, as I've just said, means something to me in terms of my own entry into traditional music, but I think it means quite a lot to a lot of people because it's been recorded by quite a number of notable recording artists, uh, some of whom I'm glad to say we'll speak to today. But let's go back to that stick in the wheel quote for a second, because they mentioned there Bob Copper uh, and that Bob Copper was being given a sort of memorial concert at Cecil Sharp House. Now, why was that happening? Well, for those that don't know about traditional music very much or those that are new to it, the Copper family are a kind of a seminal family, a seminal um, connection to the traditional. And Bob Copper was an important member of them. He was a singer and an author and a collector of songs. But the Coppers can date their family right back to 1784 with George Copper. And then they go forward through the wonderfully named Honest John Copper, who was born in 1817, James Brasser Copper, Thomas Copper, James Copper again, John Copper. They go on and on. And what was important about them and what is important about them still, because they still are singing amazingly, is that they are a family that sings unaccompanied songs and songs that are largely from the tradition around the area that they come from, which is Rottingdean in Sussex down near Brighton. And for those of us that find something deeply romantic in the idea that songs can be passed down from generation to generation, from mother to daughter or from father to son, um, the coppers really represent that in a very living, real sense. They've been singing unaccompanied songs for decades and continue to do so. You can still go and see the young coppers in concert to this day. And from an academic perspective, they have an importance as well as they were one of the earliest honorary members of the English Folk Dance and Song Society or EFTAS. At the time, it was just known as the Folk Song Society. And uh, they came to the attention of Kate Lee, one of the founder members in 1898 when, um, when she went down and collected from them. Indeed, everybody's favourite folky Martin Carthy wrote in the sleeve notes to his box set, The Carthy Chronicles, uh, that Child may have written down the songs, Sharp may have recorded them, but the Copper family of Rottingdean kept folk songs alive in the way that they should be preserved, by singing them. Much adapted and strangely contemporary, this 18th century song is from their repertoire. And it certainly seems to be the case that until fairly recently, uh, the Hard Times of Old England was associated almost exclusively with the Copper family. Folk song historian Peter Kennedy made a recording of Ron Copper singing this song in 1955, and that went out on the Eftus LP, Traditional Songs from Rottingdean. And the family recorded another version of it in 1998 on their CD, Copper Songs 3, The Legacy Continues. So you can see why it's so heavily associated with them. So now you know why I was very keen to travel down to Rottingdean late last year and uh, chat to the existent coppers, uh, the young coppers, about hard times of old England. And I did try to set that up, but unfortunately uh, the coppers have very busy lives, you know, uh, parents of young children and that kind of thing. And we couldn't get it together. But they were very kind enough to send me some details about what they know about hard times of old England. And they did that over um, that very traditional communication device, Facebook Messenger. Um, and I will read that to you in a moment. But first of all, let's have a little listen to that recording of, uh, of Ron Copper singing Hard Times of Old England, recorded by Peter Kennedy in 1955. 
Come all brown the tradesmen that travel along Oh pray come and tell me where the trade is all gone Long time I have travelled and cannot find none And it's all the hard times of old England In old England very hard times Provisions you Here then is what the Copper family wrote to me. They said this song was a favourite of the late Ron Copper, Bob's cousin, although they were often thought to be brothers. It was made for him in a way, as he had a low, slow, dark voice. And in a repertoire populated by predominantly non-political songs, Hard Times was something of an anomaly. Even so, it ends positively with the lines, I'll soon have occasion to alter my song and sing, Oh, the good times of old England. Many of our songs were diligently noted by Bob Copper and quoted in the Copper Family Songbook, but not this one. There was merely a reference to Ron's liking for this song. And in the first of three songbooks written down by James Brasser Copper in 1924, he included Hard Times in his own handwriting. It was clearly among those songs that appealed to him, possibly because he was born in Rottingdean in 1845 and he'd experienced these hard times himself. In the excellent song notes to the Topic Records compilation CD, written by the redoubtable Steve Roud, he notes of Hard Times of Old England that there are no other sources of this song, and neither are there any existent broadside versions. So there you are, the song's a bit of a mystery. In old England, very hard times. And it certainly does seem to be the case that this song was a bit of a mystery. It seemed to be something quite unique, something that had existed in a kind of vacuum, uh, something that had come almost exclusively from the Copper family. Um, however, since Steve Roud wrote those sleeve notes that, uh, that the Copper family refer to, uh, further studies have been done. And we'll come on to that a little bit later, because that's a really fascinating development uh, in this song's history. Now, as I mentioned earlier, I first came to this song via that stick in the wheel recording and I had assumed that I was listening to something that had a kind of Billy Braggness about it, uh, whether it was influenced by Billy Bragg or possibly even written by Billy Bragg. I, I wouldn't have put it past him. It kind of feels like that kind of it feels like it has that kind of braggish quality about it, doesn't it? It's a, it's very political in nature. It's certainly a protest song and it's arguably one of the oldest protest songs that we have, being that it dates to uh, around the 18th century. We'll come on to the dates a little later. So it wasn't a huge surprise to me to find that as I investigated this song, of course, Billy Bragg had recorded a version of it, and he did so in 2008 as part of the Imagined Village project. I knew nothing about traditional music back in 2008, so I wouldn't have known the Imagined Village from, well, from any other village, really, to be quite honest with you. So, as I was going about putting this podcast together, I was thinking, how could I find out more about the Imagined Village? And how could I find out more about what was going through Billy Bragg's mind when he rewrote these lyrics uh, and how he took them and turned them into something modern and relevant to today? And I thought, well, I don't know Billy Bragg, but I know a man who seems to know everybody. And his name's already come up in this podcast, and that's Ian A. Anderson. And Ian is the former editor and owner of the much-missed Efruits magazine. And as I say, Ian knows everybody, and I'm lucky enough to know Ian. So I dropped Ian a line, and I said, you don't happen to know Billy Bragg, do you? And 
sure enough, the next morning, as I was lying in the bath, where I tend to do a lot of my early morning emailing, uh, into my inbox, plop, uh, not into the bath, of course, into the inbox plopped a, a, a message from Billy Bragg. Um, and the teenage version of me had a heart attack. So Billy and I started emailing each other and seeing if we could put this thing together and find the time. And it never seemed to work out. And then out of the blue came the coronavirus. And you know, every cloud has a silver lining and all that. And both Billy and I suddenly found ourselves with time on our hands. And so I gave him a call. And I will most certainly play you that interview right after we've had a listen to Hard Times of Old England retold, as recorded by Billy Bragg and the Imagined Village. Oh, God. 
to finish my song Let's hope that these hard times they will not last long And I may soon have occasion for to alter my song And sing all the good times of old So, welcome to the Old Songs podcast, Billy Bragg. I thought it was Old Sods, you said, John. <laughs> old, that's why you invited me on, the Old Sods podcast. Oh, yeah, that, that's another one I do. We'll do. We'll get around to that next week. <laughs> <laughs> Got a few of you and a few others lined up for that. Yeah, <laughs> Old Beardy Sods podcast. You get a lot of people uh, uh, subscribing to that, I think. <laughs> So I was really interested and, and really pleased that you said that you'd come on this. I was really interested that you, you, you were keen to do it because I think a little like me, my, my background is that I'm not I'm not a traditional folk person at all. You know, I that I came to it relatively recently and I get the sense with you. I mean, I know a little about your past and I know that you came to music more through things like The Clash than perhaps uh, yeah. Martin Carthy. I'd, I'd always, before The Clash, I'd, I'd kind of had a... A quite an interesting traditional uh, folk music. The public library where I grew up in Barking, mm. um, their record library, when it opened, mm. didn't really have any pop stuff at all, but they had, they had lots of um, topic label samplers, mm. you know, basically around a theme, you know, sort of murder ballads, working ballads, mm. all sorts of stuff, you know, Watersons, uh, Shirley and Dolly Collins, Bert Lloyd, stuff like that. And I I kind of just loved all that all that stuff. I was kind of getting into early Bob Dylan at the time. I was probably 12, 13, 14, mm. and reconnecting with sort of English folk culture through those records. So that, that I kind of – it was there before the clash. Mm. And I think what happened with me was – during the minor strike, I, I kind of reconnected with it when I wrote Between the Wars. Yeah. I kind of pitched it back into that area because what happened was I um, one of my early gigs, I went up into the coal fields in, um, uh, <clears throat> up Sunderland Way, yeah. and the support act was a guy named Jock Purden. We were okay. playing a miner's benefit, and Jock was a miner. And he sang a cappella. He was an old guy, a very old guy at the time. Must have mm. been his 70s. And he went on before me. Mm. And uh, damn it, his songs were much more radical than mine. <laughs> because he, you know, he, he kind of connected with that old, you know, disaster song, uh, mining song tradition. And yeah. uh, I, felt, I always felt 
I was really embarrassed, and I mentioned it to him before, and he said, he said to me, uh, it doesn't matter what you sing song, the fact that the sun, it doesn't matter what you sing, the fact that you're here mm. in solidarity with these people in this struggle, you're part of the tradition now. Mm. So I've always felt, based on what Jock said, that I'm, I'm not of the tradition, I mm. recognise that, but I am part of it. Mm. Partly because of what Jock said, partly because of the songs I write, but more importantly, I think because folk music audiences have always um, been very kind to me. Mm. Um, partly to do with Between the Wars, I think that song, mm. um, and partly because I've always been happy playing folk festivals. I think folk festivals are very open-minded audience. They're listening audiences. Mm. They're not just wandering around trying to get sunburned and be cool. <laughs> and so I've always, you know, I've always had a great time playing folk festivals, whether it's great big ones like Cambridge or. Uh, you know, little weekend events elsewhere around the country. Mm. Well, I mean, not not to blow smoke up your bum or anything, but you know, when I was a when I was a young teenager, my stepdad played me a uh, played me between the walls, and um, I think, and he sort of said to me, you know, this is folk music, and yeah, I mean, I felt I felt it was. I mean, I was trying to write in the in the tradition. I was trying to pitch something into that into that tradition because it was it was there in the minor strike you know yeah. dick gocken i yeah. found, found myself doing gigs with dick um leon russelson and roy bailey i found myself sharing a platform with them mm. so that and as because i was a solo performer i had an electric guitar mm. because i was a solo performer people saw me the idea of the solo guitar player on stage was a folk idea and that troubadour thing right but yeah back back in those days almost um uh you know it was synonymous <clears throat> with folk music in mm. fact if i had played an acoustic guitar i wouldn't have got rock gigs they'd have put me in the folk clubs it was so yeah 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 I said go and play the folk club son you're not what you know this isn't your space i was trying to you know insert myself into the zeitgeist by playing electric guitar but it was still very much a kind of a, a folk idiom with this kind of like a you know a cultural memory from the from the folk revival of the 60s hmm. so the, the reason i mention this is because it meant that what dick was doing and what leon and, and roy were doing and the watersons and martin were doing fit very well with what i was doing so you could put the two of us on the same bill without it being lopsided without it being you know drums and bang and bosh and then some guy comes on and sing a cappella sure, you could sure. put me on as well together so i very often found myself at, particularly at benefits because the folk musicians always been up for doing benefits i found myself uh, sharing a, a, a platform we're uh, sharing a stage with a lot of folk musicians mm. and this song that we that we're talking about today hard times of old england i mean it's for me it was a kind of gateway into traditional music i I mean, I I think I heard "Stick in the Wheels" version originally, right? Uh, and then very quickly found uh, the version that you did with the Imagine Village. And of course, the more you go back into the history of this song, the more it seems as though you know, if we're talking about protest songs, which you know you're obviously synonymous with, yeah, it's uh, it's arguably one of the oldest that we've got. It is. It is. I mean, I, I first heard it as a Copper Family song, yeah, which is where I know know from it. Um, Bob's singing it actually on mm. a topic record, mm. um, and you know I think that that's the the great thing about traditional folk music. It is the it is the the kind of like the the, the unadulterated memory of the of the rural population, mm. and they weren't only ever talking about maidenheads and plukes of hay and sure. you know and um, elfin knights. 
Yeah. They were often referring to their, their economic situation, you know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and I think this is a really great example of it. Um, how, how long it had been in that form, I don't know. I wouldn't, I wouldn't mind laying some money on it was originally the tune to something else, more like an up-tempo reel or something like that. Mm. It's got that kind of, to me, it's got that kind of fiddle tune, slowed down fiddle tune thing to it. And I wouldn't be surprised if the folk tradition was all about you know, taking a, a tune that everyone was familiar with and singing new words to it because that's the same as what I was doing with, you know, songs like Power and a Union and, you know, a number of times I've, I've used uh, traditional tunes to to uh, make a, a contemporary a contemporary argument. Yeah. So when you first heard it, you said that you, you heard it on a Copper Family recording. And uh, what grabbed you about it? Was it lyrical? Was it the melody? It sounds like it must have been both. It is both, yeah. I mean, I think Bob has a great way of phrasing. You know, he's gone. Mm. He sounds like he's, you know, been around for a thousand years. <laughs> and and it's, it's. I mean, it's odd. That I also felt that way very strongly about Shirley and Dolly Collins and mm. the fact that they come from the same area. Mm. I don't know if there's there's something in that, but yeah, you know, he he kind of reminded me because he's, I only ever knew him as an old guy, right. You know, and he kind of sounds like one of my uncles, one of my grand, you know, one of my granddad's brothers or someone yeah. singing. And I think that kind of you make that connection with someone that you know beyond just a song that it's actually so uh, it reminds you of a of a relative. It's that close to you culturally. You have you get a strong connection with the material that way. Well, that, I mean, that's what's lovely about traditional music, in in my opinion, anyway, is that I think you know you. I, I'm I'm tempted to say it's an age thing. You get to a certain point in your life, and you're sort of like, you know, it kind of. Somebody said to me, you know, it three things come for you definitely. You know, it's death taxes and folk folk music. But uh, it's uh, <laughs> well, that, that, see, I'm I'm contrary to that because I was picking up those topic samplers when I was in my mid teens. But that's what I was going to say. Know, is that that's you know, a kind of interesting thing? I kind of got there through. Um, it's a really weird route, actually. First mm. of all, I was attracted to Simon and Garfunkel. Mm because of uh, things like Scarborough Fair. Mm. In the, back, in, back in the day, um, when I was at school in Barking, mm. in East London, they used to let the sixth formers once a week um, host an assembly. Mm. And very often they'd play a record. And at the time, this would be like sort of 68, 69. Yeah. Simon and Garfunk was really big among studious um teenage girls and <laughs> all studious teenage girls would stay on into the sixth form so very often if they wanted to play something they would play something from a simon and garfunkel record yeah and one time they played uh, scarborough fair yeah and i'd never heard anything like that at all and it really made me think of um barking where i grew up had once had one of the biggest um nunneries in in britain barking abbey Right. It was hugely powerful. It was so uh, central to a central, such a nexus of female power that very often the king would put his sister on the th on as in as abbess. Mm. It was a very very powerful uh, uh, centre of, of female power in medieval England. Uh, it's just ruined. You know, there's ruins and there's nothing there anymore. Yeah. But it kind of like it connect somehow. Listening to it in the school hall, it connected me with all that. And then I realised it was a folk song, and so I started having a bit of an interest in that. I kind of went via Bob Dylan, yeah, to get to folk music. But that kind of that has elements of, you know, uh, 
Anglo-Celtic folk music and what because I really like Dylan's early albums, the really yeah, early yeah. ones. Not you know the way he was playing solo, particularly um, times that are changing. Yeah, well, when you <clears> so, Scar yeah, Buffet, so, you're going into Girl from the North Country. And exactly, like exactly. Yeah. So and eventually I got to uh, English folk music, traditional folk music, yeah. and the, the strange paradox has always been to me that at the time Martin Carfey's song Scar Buffet was was playing at the General Havelock Folk Club in Ilford, about a mile from my house. Yeah. But it took these two Jewish guys from Brooklyn, Simon and Garfunkel, to yeah. turn me on to my own culture. It's sort of like it's the old the old thing about folk music. You know what goes around comes around. Absolutely. You know it, it doesn't. It's not it's not geo specific as geo specific as people think it is. It actually, it goes wherever people go, and people go everywhere, particularly in the British Empire. Yeah, yeah. So, getting back to this particular song, so. Tell me about how the, the Imagine Village came about and your involvement in it um, and how this song particularly sort of sprung up. Basically, what happened was I, I moved down to uh, West Dorset at the turn of the century, the last week of 1999, hmm. uh, to Chesil Beach. Hmm. And I've been down here a couple of years when Simon Emerson hmm. uh, um, moved down here, um, someone who's, uh, uh, you know, played around the world with... Um, Afro-Celt sound system. Yeah. And and I started seeing him on the beach when the foot and mouth went down and mm. people couldn't march, uh, walk their dogs around the countryside. He started turning up on the beach here. So I would bump into him and we were, at the time I was um, writing a book about uh, belonging and identity and yeah. specifically English identity. Yeah. And we got talking about manifestations of that. And then he came up with the idea of the Imagine Village and asked me if I'd be interested in engaging with that. And I was I was really up for it. I worked with uh, Eliza before, mm. and I'm you know big fan of Martin's. Mm. Um, and we were talking about songs and and hard times of old England seemed to me about you know rural poverty, and mm. that's still an issue in in this part of the world, particularly in the West Country. Mm. Um, and it seemed like a song that could you know could be. Uh, uh, repointed. That's something that I've always been interested in doing. Kind of continue. What well, I would argue, continuing the folk tradition by tweaking the lyrics, making new lyrics for old yeah. songs. So yeah, it kind of it all kind of came out of that. Was it something you you had to spend a long time uh, sort of looking at and playing around with, or was? No, I had a dog at the time, and I found if I wandered around, I went took the dog for an hour out for a walk. <laughs> I'd usually come up with a verse or two. Yeah, yeah. You know, I'd I'd, I'd hit on a on a issue in there i mean it wasn't that hard really when you think about it you know the 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 countryside alliance were very strong at the time yeah they get a mention there um tesco's <clears> and small shop owners small shop owners um not being able to sell stuff you know having to sell stuff for for the specifications of supermarkets massive supermarkets holiday homes uh, being yep, given yep. over to the rich yep I mean, it's all it's all there where I see it every day where I, where I live. So it wasn't that difficult, really, to to bring it round to the current hard times. Hmm. And um, yeah, and then I and then they made put the record together and and very kind, very kindly the the Copper family sort of accepted what I was doing. Very kindly sang on the record as well, which I thought was great. I didn't want to do anything to upset them. Hmm. <clears throat> uh, but sadly, I, uh, Bob wasn't around to hear it. But um, all the same, uh, I'd met him a few times. I really got on like a house on fire with Bob. Mm. He would been a, he'd been a tank driver in the war, and yeah. I did a bit of time as a tank driver as well. So we kind of had a <laughs> at a moment a moment of that, which was nice. It's interesting that you say that, you know, and and I know because I've I've been and chatted to the to the coppers 
uh, for this this podcast already. But uh, basically, they 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 mention as well that you came and uh, sort of asked permission to to play around with it. It's, it's interesting that you felt the need to do that, given that it's a, a traditional song. It is a traditional song, but it's very very much identified with their family. Right. Yeah. And you know, if someone wants to uh, change the lyrics of one of my songs, they have to have, get my permission. Yeah. Of course. Yeah. If I was just covering it, I wouldn't be would be such a big deal, but. Because we know where the song came from, because it's so identified with them, out of respect to them, yeah. um, you know, it helped. As I say, I'd, I'd sort of had a, I'd met Bob and met the family a few times at, at various gigs. Yeah. Um, you know, not everybody in the in the traditional uh, folk scene thinks I'm part of it, but Bob always did. I always got on with Bob really well. You know, mm. I've never had any hostility from people. I just say that, but they just think I'm what I'm doing is something else. Yeah. And I don't really. <laughs> I don't really belong, which is fair enough. I don't have a problem with that. But, you know, it's always been an influence on me. I've always had a relationship with it. It's always informed my work. Yeah. And when I have an opportunity to manifest that, I'm always happy to do that because I, I owe quite a lot to that aspect. And because it it's also plays into ideas of belonging as well. So, you know, both as an individual, but also where I live now and, and the culture that I listen to. Yeah. Is it a song that you still play live? No, I don't actually, which is kind of weird. Um, and talking to you has reminded me that um, in the uh, in the current situation, it seems to me a good time to be doing a little bit of webcasting out there hmm. to to people, to reach out to people in isolation hmm. from our own isolation, however long it lasts. Hmm. Uh, and I'm thinking about playing some songs that I've a you know recorded but never played. Hmm. B you know, have recorded and played, but I haven't played for ages. Or see some of those songs in my woodshed that I wrote, but they didn't just didn't fit in the record. You know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It seems like a good time to maybe be maybe once a week sitting down with everyone and 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 either you know just doing a little video on my phone or live streaming. And I think I think my folk the folk songs I've messed around with might be well into that. And obviously, hard times retold would be high on that list and it seems to me that it's the sort of song that you know i mean 2008 is 12 years since you last rewrote that could probably do with an update couldn't it it could very much so particularly i mean these are going to be hard times aren't they yeah you know i was listening to uh, they don't last for long (laughs) exactly yeah yeah i was listening to uh bob singing it a little earlier you know tell me where was all the trade has gone you know i was thinking poor mate I could put this on my my next Spotify playlist. I've just put a, a, a Spotify playlist together called um, uh, Songs for a Time of Self-Isolation. Mm. You know, things like Sitting Here in Limbo by Jimmy Cliff and uh, <laughs> You Can't Always Get What You Want by the Rolling Stones. And... <laughs> my kids need to hear that one right now. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, right. Yeah, yeah. For all those people looking for toilet roll. <laughs> I don't know why, they, why you know, the, the sun isn't going to stop printing. <laughs> you know, if you don't mind a bit of newsprint on your butthole, it's, it's just as good using the sun. <laughs> Billy, it's been a pleasure. Thank you for your time. My pleasure. Nice to talk to you as well, John, and uh, good luck with the rest. I look forward to hearing the whole programme. What a treat that was. I didn't think I'd be having that conversation when I woke up on Monday morning to this corona nastiness. 
Anyway, this song is not done yet, there's more history to come. And while I was willing to accept that the song was undoubtedly important to the Copper family and that they are rightfully uh, guardians, if you like, of the song, it is in the end a traditional song and therefore something that must have a history beyond that. So I wanted to go back uh, to Steve Roud particularly and see if he'd found out anything more about it. So I dropped him a line. And I got a reply just before Christmas, actually, and this is what he had to say. He said, no, I have not written anything further about the copper's hard times, brackets, Roud1206. I really love the fact that he refers to these songs with his own name as well. Um, He was referring, of course, to the Topic Records CD, Come Write Me Down, where, as the coppers said earlier, uh, he had said that he had found no other traditional version nor a broadside. However, he writes, since then I have found two printings, one by Pitts, who was a, who was a broadside printer, and another one by Mate of Dover, who we heard about uh, in a previous episode when I was talking to Ben Walker. Um, and that song is called The Tradesman's Complaint. And he's actually sent me a very nice uh, little facsimile of it, of the song in its uh, broadside form. Um, and I'll pop that on the website along with this recording. Um, he says there that the song, therefore, should be dated to the 1820s based on this uh, based on this printout. Now then, since then, I've been fishing around and looking around and doing a bit of searching myself. And I came across a song called The Roast Beef of Old England. Uh, and it even has a Wikipedia entry. And this is what it says. It says the Roast Beef of Old England was an English patriotic ballad and it was written by Henry Fielding for his play The Grub Street Opera, which was first performed in 1731. So there we go. We've gone back even further and the lyrics were added over the next 20 years. Now, on that Wikipedia page, there's even a little recording uh, from the Royal Navy of all places. Apparently, it's used as a tune to accompany dinners uh, during the presentation of beef. That's quite an amazing little piece of information. When mighty roast beef was the Englishman's food, it ennobled our veins and enriched our blood. Our soldiers are brave and our courtiers were good. Oh, the roast beef of old England and old English roast beef. So here we have a song that in its time seems to have been known by a very large number of people for being a patriotic song. And yet, when it morphs into the oral tradition, in that verse regarding the soldiers and sailors coming from war, it seems to take a swing at the ruling classes for not looking after the working people. So I dropped Steve Rowd a line and I, I asked him, how has, how has this been overlooked? And does it mean that the song, therefore, uh, is not traditional and actually has uh, an origin in this old Grub Street opera? And his reply to that only came back a couple of days ago and it surprised me even more because he says, and I quote, I think you're onto something here that no one else has noticed. I would say it's most likely that the writer of Hard Times of Old England had the roast beef song in mind and that new hearers and purchasers would have clearly understood the reference. The roast beef song was extremely well known throughout the 18th and 19th centuries and there are numerous adaptations and parodies and the tune was used for dozens of other songs, some straight patriotic but others ironic or protesty. It's not surprising that the Hard Times writer thought it was appropriate, as it uses the symbol of food, a plenty, to promote notions of patriotism and liberty. So, where does this leave us with regards to the Hard Times of Old England being a traditional song versus 
well, uh, a song that appeared in broadsides or even uh, in the music hall. Well, it seems, as we've seen in other episodes, that these songs moved in and out, um, that they were fluid. Uh, they would sometimes appear in the oral tradition and that would lead to ballad writers printing them up uh, and selling them at a penny a time to, to the people in the streets of the cities and the villages. And vice versa, sometimes those songs would make their way out into the countryside, into the rural towns, uh, into the popular culture, and they would adapt and they would grow. And it seems perfectly possible that that's how this song uh, became the song that we know and became the song that the coppers eventually uh, popularised. Before we conclude and finish this podcast and hope that the hard times don't last for long, um, I'd like to do that thing that we usually do, which is to try as hard as we can uh, to understand why the music affects us in the way that it does. And of course, I can't do that. That's not something that I'm ever particularly good at. Uh, But I do know a man who is good at it and who has been on our podcast before. So I'm just going to pop Jim Murray on the line. Hold on a second. So welcome back to the Old Songs podcast, Jim. uh, And thank thank you you for being the resident musical (laughs) professor. (laughs) (laughs) Oh dear. Yeah, well, thank you for having me back. I thought I'd give you a call just to find out because I'm not very good at dealing with the the, uh, sort of music theory side of things. But I'm really interested in why it is that something like uh, The Hard Times of Old England sort of tickles our ears. What is it about it that uh, is? I mean, we talked. We've heard earlier in the series from people like Nick Hart, who've talked about sure. uh, songs that that do things that you don't expect them to do, and therefore they're yeah. fascinating. But there's some. So, there's something so beautiful and simple about this song. Is there anything musical theory wise behind it for that? I think I think Nick is right, and and um, the, the the quote that comes to mind is that that one about Paul McCartney. I think it's the co- conductor Carl Davis. Hmm. who said it of um of every every bit of a Paul McCartney melody seems inevitable the moment after you've heard it hmm. so um yeah so you know at, at teaching songwriting we quite often talk about trying to do things that take the listener in a direction they didn't expect hmm. um but the thing about this melody is so the first thing to note is it's in the Ionian mode which sounds complicated but it's really not the Ionian mode is the bog standard major scale you know so the, the major scale you'd C and ended up a C just climbing the up the white notes, notes yeah. yeah so it's the, the the very first mode and the most important chords in uh well the most important chords in any key generally in western music anyway are chord 1 which is the, known as the tonic mm. chord 4 which is the subdominant and mm. chord 5 which is the dominant mm. and there is a um what's considered the most powerful cadence so chord change to end a phrase mm. is five one or a turbocharged version of that would be five seven one what we call the the dominant seventh and there are reasons for that within the frequencies of the notes that they're the most closely uh related pitches and chords so the thing about the hard times of old england is there are no notes you don't expect there are no chords that you don't expect but maybe what makes it uh very pleasing to listen to is it's almost like the opposite of that it's the most pure version of a turbocharged major key tune that every uh every change is exactly what your ear expects and it's pleasing because it's like oh yeah there it is Mm. do do you know what i mean Mm. um so there isn't really anything unusual about it but maybe it's just its simplicity and purity and it's straight to the point so it's a five line five phrase tune Mm. um 
the first phrase, do, 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 that is going up and down between the tonic and the third of the okay. chord, which is the major third, which is what defines the, the tonality of that tonic chord. Mm-hmm. So do, 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 we're ending on a, on a, on a second of the scale. So if you're in C, a D note, mm-hmm. and that would denote your, uh, your dominant chord. So mm-hmm. we've got chord one and chord five, which are the most closely related. Do, 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 do. That is suggesting a subdominant chord and a, and a dominant chord. Mm-hmm. And then the same line that repeated. Do, 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 do. And we're ending on the five chord. Do, 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 do. So what that is doing, do, do, do. That note there, the fourth of the scale, mm-hmm. is the seventh of the dominant seventh. Okay. Does that makes sense? Yeah. Um, so well, no, do, but do, yeah. Do, 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 do. So what you what we what we've done is we've set up a dominant seventh. So let's assume this is in C for the sake of okay. argument. We've risen up to a to an F, which is the seven in that dominant seventh chord, and then resolved down to the third and the first, which, as I said in the first line, are um, define the tonic chord, right? Okay. Yes. So that is that that five seven one thing is like the bedrock of western classical music right. and it's like the, the purest the most powerful chord change you can have theoretically right. uh, so do 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 that fifth line that repeated line mm-hmm. the one that everyone joins in on mm. goes chord four chord five chord one so you've sort of you've used the three most closely related chords you've uh, the melody is climbed up between the tonic, which tells you what the the root of the chord would be, and the third, which tells you whether it's a major or minor chord. So it's it's like your ear is told what the chords do. I think I might have mentioned this last time I was on the podcast, mm. but when people talk about modal folk songs being modal, mm. uh, what they really mean is that if you sing it unaccompanied, it tells you what the chords are. So you have a sort of innate, you, you know, you you have a you have a feeling of what the chords underneath would be, even if it's sung unaccompanied. Got you. That's yeah. sort of that's sort of what people mean by modal folk folk songs. It, it's it's what I feel. So this is modal in that it, it is in a mode because all music is in um, a mode of some sort. Um, but you know that's not what we usually mean by modal. This is a default major scale, and it's doing the the purest things you can do with that default major scale. So that's probably why. But it, you know, it is a very, it is a very um, pleasing melody. Yeah. All right, brilliant. Thank you for your time. <laughs> Isn't it wonderful when you can phone up friends and chat to them about dominance and sevenths and subdominance and, well, maybe that's why I don't have many friends. Anyway, I think that might be all I can possibly say about the hard times of old England. And I haven't even covered off the fact that uh, that Steel Eye Span recorded a version. Uh, so you can go and dig that out if you want to. Um, bounce, bounce around to a to a rather depressing set of lyrics, but of course it does all come to a to a very joyous conclusion. Uh, and in the case of this podcast, well, I hope it's brought you to a, a more educational conclusion. So you, hopefully you've learned a little bit. I mean, I've certainly learnt quite a lot in creating this one and going on this journey right back from sticking the wheel to uh to the conversation that I had with Billy yesterday. Um. If you've got the time, and I'm sure you all suddenly have, I really advise going and exploring the world of the Coppers. Uh, the Copper Family Archives, they've got a wonderful website. There's there's all those recordings, there's all of those, uh, well, there's loads of archival material. Um, and, of course, Bob Copper was a wonderful writer, so there's literature there. There's just plenty to do if you're digging into the world of the Coppers. 
We usually end the Old Songs podcast um, with a little tradition whereby the guest sings an unaccompanied version of the song we've been looking at. And in this case, uh, well, I've been doing most of the talking, so maybe I'm the guest. But no fear, I'm not going to make you listen to me warbling away. Um, I think it's only right that we hand over that little bit of tradition to the coppers themselves. So I'm going to end up this podcast with a recording of the young coppers singing Hard Times of Old England. And before I go, I just want to say, uh, I, I hope that you're all okay. And I hope that you're all, uh, you know, if you're in self-isolation, you're finding ways to entertain yourselves and look after yourselves. And, uh, and I really do wish you all uh, very good health. And, you know, as the song says, may these hard times not last for long. I'll see you next time. Come, O oh brother tradesmen that travel alone. Oh, pray, come and tell me where the trade is all gone. Long time I have travelled and cannot find none. And it's all oh, the hard times of old England. In old England, very hard times. Provisions you buy at the shop, it is true. But if you've no money, there's none there for you. So what's a poor man and his family to do? And it's all the hard times of old England. In old England, very hard times. If you go to a shop and you ask for a job, they'll answer you there with a shake and a nod. That's enough to make a poor man to turn out and rob. And it's all the hard times of old England. In old England, very hard times. You will see the poor tradesmen a-walking the street from morning till night for employment to seek. And scarcely do they have any shoes to their feet. And it's all oh, the hard times of old England. In old England, very hard times. Our soldiers and sailors have just come from war. Been fighting for the king and their country is sure. Come home to be starved. Better stay where they were. And it's all oh, the hard times of old England. In old England, very hard times. So now to conclude and to finish my song, let's hope that these hard times, they will not last long. And I may soon have occasion for to alter my song. And sing all the good times of old England.